Father, we thank you that your word tells us that when two or more are gathered in your name, that you're in the midst of them. We thank you, Father, that individually you have promised to give us your spirit to enter our lives in a way that is mysterious and at the same time such a wonderful, wonderful comfort and blessing. And we thank you, Father, that you loved us enough that you didn't leave us alone, but that you want us to come to you and to be with you for all time. As we open your word, Father, we pray that you will allow your spirit to speak to us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Good morning. I'm glad you're here. Don't these, don't these guys do a good job up here? They could use a little love. They, they put in time and effort. I know there are other people that put in time and effort on a lot of different things to help make this congregation continue to move into a positive forward way. But the way these guys bring us into, um, into worship, I just have really appreciated that for the time that I have been associated here. Um, I'm going to ask our men to come on forward and give you an opportunity to uh, continue your worship through the giving of tithes and offerings. And I'm going to offer you something. My phone number. This isn't written down anywhere yet. It will be at some point. I'm sure we'll get around to getting business cards and all that done. It'll probably wind up in this week's letter, but I wanted to give you an opportunity to actually see this. Joy's number's probably not going to change. It's a cell phone, so if you've got a cell phone, that's all cool, right? Okay, now, I am just getting used to this number, so uh, you will have to give me just a little bit of grace, uh, but... You should be able to get me at that number at any time other than right now, so don't call my phone to find out whether or not I turned it off. And if you haven't turned yours off yet, this is a great opportunity to do that. I want to remind you that uh, men and women Bible studies are getting ready to get started back up here coming in September. And last week we talked about and and announced the... um, uh, men's Bible study, we're going to be talking about biblical leadership, uh, eventually probably leadership in the home and lots of things, and we're going to talk about some skills that will, will be useful within the church, but also useful in your everyday life uh, as we go down the road. Uh, I did mention we would be doing that on Monday nights. We did get some feedback that there, that did work the last time, but there are some guys who want to be available and to, and to take part, so that may not be the best night uh, this next cycle. So when you sign up, there's a space on the sheet that says, give us your best two days for getting together. And so we want to have all the men of the congregation who can be and are willing to be involved in that study to please come. And if you're visiting and you want to be a part of that study, 
please come. Uh, I think you will get a lot out of it. And if we have to have two groups in order to make everybody, uh, make it possible for everybody to be involved, we're going to do that, okay? But give us the, the two best days, and we'll try to get that worked out so we can have as many of the men involved as possible. We had a work day uh, yesterday over at his house, and uh, good was done there. Uh, you may also notice that... Uh, Trevor is up there uh, enjoying us being there, allowing him to do something different for, for the time. And uh, Trevor, who is uh, on staff there at his house, is also the husband of our secretary, uh, who is there with their two daughters. Um, Tyler is her name. And so they popped in. But we had a number of folks that came in and put love to work for the students that are coming both outside and inside the, the, the building. And uh, with guys having lived there all summer long, you can imagine how much love was put into trying to get the kitchen cleaned and the walls and the floors and all of that. Thank you to everyone who, who came and who contributed to, to that work day. You were certainly a blessing to the students that they may not see, but they'll know somebody's been there because it looks loved when they come in the next week or so in order to uh, start their school back. We have been looking at Jonah. We're going to continue to do that this morning. And you know, I think there are times when when we look pretty foolish to God. Now, I know from our perspective, there are times when we think we have power, and we don't. There are times when we think we have control, and then the world tells us differently. And there are times when we think we're the ultimate goal. We, we know what our ultimate destiny needs to be, and we try to work on our own, thinking that somehow we can get away from God when really it's us just running around on a marble compared to him and where he is. Last week we started looking at Jonah and we went through the first couple of verses. Just the word of the Lord came to uh, Jonah, son of Amittai, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness had come before me. And what did Jonah do? Anything but what God asked. But Jonah ran away and headed for Tarshish, other side of the world, 2,000 miles away, only just a tiny distance as far as God's concerned. He went down to Joppa, found a ship from that port and paid the fare, and he got on board and sailed. Why? To flee from the Lord. And I imagine there are times when all of us kind of feel like Jonah. But God invited Jonah to join him in his work, and he invites us to join him in his work. And the beauty of the cross is that he makes it possible for us to join his work as spotless, unblemished creatures of his creation 
who through the blood of Christ become his children. It's a beautiful thing. There was a commentator uh, that I read that talked about Jonah's reaction this way, trying to put it maybe in a slightly more modern terms. He said Jonah's reaction was like asking a Jew in 1942 to go from New York to Germany to speak to Hitler and to tell him that God loved him and that everything he did would be forgiven if he would just repent. So that Jewish individual got on a train and traveled all the way to San Francisco and then got on a ship and sailed to Antarctica. Just as far away from what was the greatest evil at that time in history. We talked about the fact that Jonah has no compassion for Nineveh. After all, they are an enemy and they are a formidable enemy. And they are moving south. And giving Nineveh the opportunity to get off the hook was just something Jonah was not willing to to do and because he ran from the Lord you know what happened well we got a little phrase in the south it's called calamity you ever heard that calamity ensued then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up All the sailors were afraid and each cried out to his own God. And they threw the cargo overboard in order to lighten the ship. They were in fear of what? In fear of losing their life. As the storm came, these men, they they prayed hard. By the way, when the storms of life come, do we pray hard? Does anybody remember 9-11, 2001, and the cry out that went from our country as our world changed. They would have prayed to Asherah, the sea goddess. They would have prayed to Baal Shemin, the god of the sky. They would have prayed to Baal Tyre, the the god of mariners. They would have called out to any god that they could possibly think of. But Jonah knew the god that could actually change it. But where was Jonah when all of this was happening? Jonah was below deck where he laid down and fell into a deep sleep. The captain went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. All hands on deck, right? Maybe he will take notice of us and we will not perish. And again, do you see the irony here? That these pagan sailors must tell the practiced prophet to pray. And by the way, it doesn't say that he ever did at this point. As we continue reading, the sailors each said to each other, Come, let's cast lots and find out who's responsible for this calamity. They cast lots 
and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us, who is responsible for making this trouble for us? Now, don't think this is an honest question. They're like, tell us who it is. They know. What did you do? Where do you come from? What is your country? Who are your people? And he answered, I'm a Hebrew and I worship the Lord. Now, you look at it there. The way that's written, you see it's big capital L and then it has capital letters. When you see that in Scripture, you know what that's talking about? That's talking about Yahweh. That's talking about the closest word that gets to the sacred name of God which shall never be pronounced. It's a combination of words. You you may have heard it in the time when Moses went to the burning bush and he says, who is it that I should tell him is sending me? And what's he say? I am. Literally what the word means is the one who causes to be. Okay? What do we say when we say the one who causes to be? We have one word for that. What is it? Creator. Yes. He says, I serve the one who created all of this. I serve the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. And this terrified them and asked, what have you done? For they knew he was running from the Lord because he'd already told them so. So Jonah's down in the, the belly of the ship asleep and he wakes up to the consequences of his sin, his disobedience. Now, there's another irony here. Remember, this story is supposed to make you smirk. You're supposed to see the disconnect. It's supposed to be humorous. These pagan sailors are flailing about. They're doing everything they can to get the attention of their gods. And the only one who can do anything about it is, of all things, asleep. And the prayerless prophet all of a sudden realizes he's put somebody else in peril. You know, there's an old saying. You probably have heard it before. Be sure your sins will what? Find you out, right? Be be sure your sins will find you out. In fact, that almost sounds biblical, doesn't it? In fact, It is. Over in Numbers 32, around verse 23, let me give you some context what's going on over there in Numbers 32. The Hebrews have not quite finished claiming the promised land, but they've gotten over there, and there's been a little skirmish, and they're getting ready to move across the Jordan, and the Gadites and the Reubenites decide that the land on the east side of the Jordan is perfectly fine. And they want to just go ahead and settle there and not worry about trying to clear out the rest of the land. 
And Moses allows them to stay there, but he gives them this warning. You need to follow through on what God has already told you to do, and you need to be a part of clearing the land. So at verse 23, we read this. But if you fail to do this, to serve God through helping to clear out the land for everybody else, you will be sinning against the Lord, and you may be sure your sins will what? Your sins will find you out. In other words, yeah, you can settle over there, that's fine. But that doesn't negate your responsibility to God or your family. And you better be ready to help us clear the land or your sin will find you out. What's he saying? You need to do what you know the Lord has told you to do. And if you don't, there's what? Consequence. Okay? A negative consequence. You see, family, when we fail to honor God... It doesn't stay hidden for very long. Note, the Israelites in Numbers, the Gadites, the Reubenites, Jonah, they weren't involved in any great moral failure. We're not talking about some, some fall in that respect. What we're talking about is simply doing what God told them to do. They needed to follow through on what they knew truth to be. To not do so is to fail to honor the one that you call Lord of your life. Because if he's Lord, if he has undisputed possession of everything you are, guess what? That means he has the right to tell you what to do. But I can tell you, he's a merciful Lord. What we're talking about here really is spiritual rebellion, Jonah's rebellion. And like all rebellion, It doesn't stay hidden for very long. The sea was getting rougher. So they asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? And he said, pick me up and throw me into the sea and it will calm down. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon you. And you know what the irony is? They actually listened to him. Now, granted, they were not willing to throw him into the sea until they had no other choice. But don't let it slip that they asked him for advice. And they were willing to take it. Also note, Jonah did accept personal responsibility. He knew it was his fault, and he admitted it forthright. God had brought on that storm... But it was Jonah's doing that made that happen, that forced God's hand. And he was at least willing to own up to it. He's also willing to accept the consequences. Now, I want you to note, 
Jonah never asked God for his forgiveness. Certainly not praying in this moment. You think about that particular moment in time. What he does is he does see a chance that God might spare the ship if he's not on it. But I suspect it never crossed his mind that he was going to survive that storm and being out in the sea in the middle of it. You see, he knew he had sinned. And he knew the law. And he knew the consequence. And I suspect he knew he was going to die. I want you to think about this. So great was his hatred and fear of Nineveh that he would rather die than share God's good news. Wow, that'll never be me. Really? Would you rather die than spread God's good news? You ever heard of Penn Jillette? Do you know who he is? Maybe you've heard of Penn and Teller. Penn and Teller. One guy's like this, the other guy's like this. One talks an awful lot, the other one doesn't talk at all. Now, Teller can actually talk. It's just part of the shtick of their magic show that he does everything quietly and Penn Jillette takes in all of, all of the speaking roles and all of that. Um, absolutely talented guys. And by the way, both of them are sharp as a whip. They are both scholarly kind of individuals. They're extremely intelligent. Penn Jillette, though, is a very outspoken atheist and has been and continues to be. But back in 2010, when he was doing this daily blog kind of a thing, uh, sometimes written, but lots of times there's just a video blog where he would put it out. And actually parts of that have gotten out onto YouTube and you can find it. Uh, but in 2010, after one of the concerts, there was a man who came up to him and was, and as he describes it, was very complimentary of the show and, and very respectful and very much um, what was, uh, was a fan of what they were doing. And the man spent a couple minutes talking to him there, and then um, he handed him a Bible, just a little New Testament. And the way Penn Jillette describes it, it's pretty obvious that what he's given him is a Gideon Bible. Uh, you're aware of the Gideons, right, who give out the Word of God, who spend their own money to spread the Word of God in multiple languages throughout the world. And Penn Jillette, in this raw footage video blog, said that he actually respected the man. The man was respectful of him. But as he was thinking about this, and he was talking about this, he, Penn Jillette's words, let me just tell you what he said. He said, if you believe there's a heaven and a hell, and that people are going to go to hell or not getting eternal life, and you think it's really worth telling them this because 
it's not worth telling them this because it would be socially awkward. An atheist would think that people shouldn't proselytize. Just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. How much do you have to hate someone to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and to not tell them that? Brothers, sisters, do you really believe that the world is doomed for destruction? That your father or a cousin or a child or a friend or a neighbor is on a path to that destruction and they're on their way to hell? Pendulette asked, If you really believe in eternal life, how much do you have to hate someone to not tell them about it? It's got to be somewhere close to to how much Jonah hated Nineveh. Now Jonah's sin, just like our sin, affected those that were around him. Picking up at verse 13. Instead, the men did their best to row back the land, but they could not, and the sea grew even wilder than before. And they cried out to the Lord, O Lord, please do not let us die for killing this innocent man. For you, you notice they were not even willing to place the blame there. Interesting, isn't it? For you, O Lord, have what? Have done as you pleased. Now, who are they praying to at this point? Do you you see the capital L and the little capitals? Do you see who they're praying to? They're praying to Jonah's God. Why? Because they believe Jonah's God was capable of controlling the sea and sparing their lives. It's a a cry for forgiveness. Uh, Don't let us die. It's a cry of recognition. You are the one who is in control because you have done as you please. If you think about it, that prayer follows a classical Jewish model of prayer of of adoration and, and petition. And here's another irony that these pagans are more concerned about Jonah's life than he was for theirs, much less the Ninevites. And this is a point we really, we really need to get out of this story. Compassion is not limited to God followers. But it's a shame when we lack it. Now, desperate they do finally follow Jonah's advice. Then they took Jonah and they threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm. And at this, the men greatly feared what? 
the Lord. And they offered sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. But the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the fish three days and three nights. Here's here's another irony. Jonah does not pray. While these pagans are sacrificing and making vows to the one who causes to be. Psalm 11, 111.10, you probably know it. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Yes? Proverbs 1, 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. So why did I call this the flight of a fool? Because that's what Scripture calls someone who knows exactly what God wants them to do. And they choose to go their own way. These men, these sailors, they were not foolish. They were just ignorant. It's interesting, though, that when they came to clarity, even on the littlest amount of truth, what did they do? They adjusted and they responded. They had the right reaction. And they started out fearing that storm and they ended up fearing the storm maker. The one who provides everything for us. And you notice it says there, he said, the Lord provided. That word in Hebrew is a very interesting word. But when you stop and think about it, the Lord did provide the fish. But what else did he provide? He provided that storm they just went through. He also also provided the assignment to Jonah. Yes. But he also provided the life of those Ninevites. They were souls that he created, that he loved, and he was trying to provide repentance for them through Jonah. The same as he helps to provide repentance through you and through me. Not that we're salesmen by any means. We're not. We are not to get in the way of what the Holy Spirit is doing. But friends, family, there should be joy as we tell people what the Lord has done for us. And as we tell them what he's done for us, they see that perhaps the Lord can do something for them. And he can and he will when we are faithful. What we see in this, and you know most of the story, you guys are aware of it. We'll talk more about this as we go. But God is not through just simply because we are We know there is still a place in God's plan for Jonah 
And it's actually a much bigger role than he probably ever realized. You know why? Because we're still looking at him and we're still studying what happened with him. Why? Because his story is still changing lives. Nearly 3,000 years later. And friend, I want to tell you the truth. God is not through with you either. Now, I know there are those of us or those that are in our family that may have lived as believers at one point and at some point they have fallen away. Now, it may have been deliberate choice. It may have just been getting out of a routine and it may be that they ran like Jonah or maybe they just wandered off. Maybe they just let the relationship with God die out. Maybe they just came to a point where they, they found it easier to live for themselves than to live for the Lord. Or maybe they got discouraged and hard-hearted because of losing somebody they love. Or because of the callousness of some fellow believer who was more concerned with trying to point out their shortcomings and being right in an argument than in trying to get that individual to do the right thing. What's more important? Winning an argument or somebody doing the right thing? Really, what's more important? We need to help people cultivate their strengths. Now, I don't know. People fall away for a lot of reasons. But friends, family, we need to understand that as long as we're breathing, God has a place in his plan, in his kingdom, for each and every one of us. I can't tell you what the assignment will be. I imagine there'll be more than one in your life, especially as you grow, as you mature, as you learn more, and you have more to give away. God's going to give more opportunities for you to help somebody else grow, learn, and mature. And he may never send a big fish to get your attention. Now, he might send a financial crisis. He might send a health crisis. He, he might blow up your house or you'll be in a car wreck or something. Or maybe he'll just send an Ananias to come alongside of you. But the question for today is when God calls you, when he's looking for your attention, are you going to be listening? When he calls, how are you going to respond? Father God, how foolish it is for us to think that we 
can escape from your presence and how short-sighted we are when we choose our own path instead of instead of the way that leads to your loving arms. Father, you know how discouraged we can be. You, Father, you're aware of how weary we can get and you know how much we need the comfort of your guiding spirit. You know how burdened we can become under the weight of guilt and shame and the consequence of our own actions. We thank you, Father, that you did not leave Jonah out of your plan and that you graciously include us in it as well. We thank you for the cross of Christ and for the peace that we can have when we turn our lives over to you. Father, today, now, Hear our hearts and stir our souls. And may your name be praised through our lives. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a closing hymn, a hymn of invitation. If there is something on your heart that you need to get off of it, you want some of the leaders of the congregation to pray with you, You want me to pray with you? Come, I'll do that. If you need to get right with him, do that where you are and let the rest of us sing. If you're ready to give your life over to him, come and talk to me about it. Won't you come as we stand?